0: You're listening to Rick Kleffel the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary 5 days a week at trashotron.com/agony.
1: Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Bay. I'm your host, Deb Hopewell. This morning we have KUSP's Rick Cluffle here with local author Lori King. They'll be talking with us for the first half of the hour. After that, Daria Troxel will be talking with uh, about Suzical, the musical, and we also have the literary calendar and the performing arts calendar all here this morning on Talk of the Bay. Rick, Lori, good morning. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Gloria R. King is the best-selling author of the Mary Russell Sherlock Holmes novels, including Locked Rooms and The Game. Her new novel is The Art of Darkness, a Kate Martinelli police procedural following on from her Edgar Award-winning debut, A Grave Talent.
1: Now, 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 the Art of Detection. Come on art now. Art of Detection. It's, it, it's, it, it's very cerebral, not emotional. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the Art of Detection. You got it. She's been selected as the 21st Artist of the Year by the Santa Cruz County Arts Commission. Congratulations, Laurie. Thank you. Laurie, tell us a little bit about this Artist of the Year deal. Uh, former writers including who have received it include uh, Marcus, James Houston, composer Lou Harrison's received it. Tell us a little bit about how your year's been thus far.
1: Well, it, the tiara is really quite light. It, <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't had an awful lot of duties, although this weekend they're having a... Um, A book fair at the Simkin Swim Center and the school that's next door to it, just around the corner from the from the radio station. In fact, I hope you'll come, and uh, it will um, involve Laurie King doing a writer's improv as part of the part of the production. So I'm not quite sure how it's going to turn out, but that that may be the time to ask me how (laughs) the how the artist of the year. Um, is going <laughs> after I finish writing online for two hours and watching people, having people watch me write.
0: This is a live writing gig. Um, the last time I heard of a live writing gig was Harlan Ellison sitting in a the change of hobbit window back in the 1970s writing a story.
1: Well, You have to assume he was writing a story. He may just have been writing, my name is Harlan Ellison. I wish people would stop watching me sitting in the window typing. I really wish they'd stop writing me. Whereas if I write that, people will see it.
0: Now, so people will be able to see, will they be able to see uh, what you're typing via the computer you're typing it on?
1: That's the idea. Oh,
0: wow! So this is well, magic, this can, isn't it? It's Whoa. magic. <laughs> now I know there's a video feed, so they can watch you typing. But I didn't know they'd be able to see what you were typing oh, exactly. Oh no,
1: no video feed and no audio oh. feed. They asked me if they wanted to do an audio feed, and I said, "Right, you're going to have me cursing on <laughs> <laughs> online across the world." No, 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 no. It's no. What you will see on the screen is what will be on my laptop's um, screen, so that. All the typos, until I correct them, you'll see them jump back and forth and appear and disappear. So you will see what is on my screen. And actually, there are two, two links there. If you go to the Santa Cruz County Parks Department homepage, there are two links. One of them will be live. You will see what is on my screen. The other one is an HTML file. Is that are yes. those the right letters? Yes. Anyway, what it means is you can see what I have written. You can scroll back. Oh, wow. So, you, they, yeah. Is, That's I pretty have,
0: awesome. That's a lot of technology. Who set the technology up for you?
1: Did you guess I had nothing to do with it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Intuition.
1: I, I, I walked in with my laptop and said, is this going to work? And I said, oh, yeah. It's a fairly new laptop. <laughs> so, it's, it seems to be surviving my presence anyway. We'll see tomorrow at 11.
0: Well, this you can go to the website at www.scparks.com, and you can... People can sign up now to give you prompts right. for the story. Tell us a little bit about the story, because you have some idea where it's going, don't you?
1: This is a story, I, I think that the story will be the one that um, will go for a collection that Dana Stabenow asked me for. Dana's doing a, a, a second volume of one she did a few years ago on crime and fantasy. That is a crime story, but in a fantasy setting. Um, so the story will have to fit into that general format. But what I would like beyond that is I have been accumulating stories over the past few years when people ask me to do short stories. I've been aiming them at a collection of stories that are linked, um, set around a middle school in South Santa Cruz County in the Watsonville area, a fictional middle school. Um, But all of the stories will eventually come together in a sort of cycle rather than just a collection of short stories. So um, this I would like, so I have these two sort of major major foci involved in this one story about which I know nothing, and will know nothing until probably 8 in the morning on Saturday when I have the prompts will will come through my machine and I'll say, Oh my God, I have to write a story about this? Ah!" (laughs) So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, people can submit prompts through their... Website. I would suggest that they don't have more than a few hours to do it because Kathy DeWilde, the, the coordinator of, of the program, will be putting those prompts together together before she leaves work this afternoon. So,
0: and this will be followed by a panel discussion with Morton Marcus and James Houston on the mystery of writing.
1: Yes, yes. I finish writing. I'll be writing uh, in my little room upstairs um, for all the world to laugh at from eleven to one. And then I think they have scheduled a time for me to sign and talk about it for a little while. And the general, formal panel that uh, a very nice gentleman by the name of Rick Cleffel is going to be moderating um, will be, I think, 4 to 5 is the scheduled time with that, with James Houston and the poet Morton Marcus.
0: Tell us a little bit about this idea of fantasy and mystery. It's an interesting idea, and you're no stranger to writing science fiction and fantasy, though many of your fans might not know this.
1: My other hat, yes, yes. Yeah, two years ago, I <clears throat> published a paperback original under the pseudonym Lee Richards, L-E-I-G-H, Richards. Um, the name of it was Caliphia's Daughters, and uh, it's it's a sort of futuristic story. So, Strictly science fiction, I'm not sure, but futuristic fiction, sure. Um, But being a paperback original, nobody's ever heard of it. So, (laughs) although the San Francisco, uh, the Seattle mystery bookstore, I think forces everyone who comes in the door to take a copy because it's been on their bestseller list since (laughs) the summer of 2004 when it came out.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's great! Incredible. Lee Richards. Yeah. uh, Maybe a reference to Lee Brackett.
1: Uh, no, it has to do with my my maiden name, my birth name. Sorry.
0: Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about your new novel, The Art of Detection.
1: Yes. It may be dark, but it has no darkness in the title.
0: Tell us a little bit about the... It's a police procedural, and police procedurals have their own certain set of pleasures that's different from uh, hard-boiled mystery, uh, other series mysteries. Tell us a little bit about... The Police Procedural, and Kate Martinelli.
1: I had said to my editor, this was a couple of years ago, that I really would like to do another Martinelli because I'd, I had four of them, and the last one was published in, I think it was 2000, which is an awful long time for a series to, to keep alive. So um, I suggested to her that it might be time to write another Martinelli, and she said rather wistfully, gee, I... I think it would be really nice if you could somehow tie it in with the with the russell series the historical sherlock holmes series that i do and i said this is this is the most ridiculous idea i've ever heard what i'm going to bring a hundred and five-year-old mary russell to san francisco and have her <laughs> and accused of murder or something I, you, you know the, the, the whole idea was just ridiculous so i told her that and went away and, Two weeks later, called her up and said, you know that idea I told you really, really wouldn't work? Well, it wouldn't, but what if I did it this way? So the story is, on the one hand, a police procedural with Kate Martinelli, a contemporary um, homicide detective with the San Francisco Police Department. But it is also a Sherlock Holmes pastiche, an actual Laurie King Sherlock Holmes pastiche, which I've never written before. Because Kate Martinelli finds a short story written apparently by holmes in 1924 about a case that he's investigated um in san francisco during that time
0: holmes or doyle
1: sherlock holmes narrates the story um she of course thinks this this is ridiculous and assumes that um this is a conan doyle short story that conan actually it's more of a novella but anyway anyway um that conan doyle wrote when he was in the city in 1923 and for some reason said it the following year. Everyone assumes this, and the fact that they found it and it's an extremely valuable property um, is because it, it would be a missing um, Conan Doyle short story. Well, people who have read the Mary Russell books will know that Sherlock Holmes and Mary Russell were in San Francisco in 1924, so that this probably actually is Sherlock Holmes' writing. But you don't have to believe that um, in order to make sense of the story. And indeed, Kate Martinelli doesn't believe that and doesn't know that. <laughs> I, I have fun with what I do, Rick. <laughs> I, I can tell.
0: For our listeners, if you'd like to ask Lori King a question, please call at 476-2800 or 800-655-5877, and you can ask Lori King a question. Laurie, one of the things I really like about police procedurals, and, and especially your latest novel, is this the sense of detail you bring to it? There's a number of details, and different kinds of details as well. There's the details of the characters' personal lives, and the details that line the mystery itself. Tell us a little bit about the part that detail plays in a, particularly in a police procedural.
1: It's very true in any mystery. That's true that the detail is the lifeblood, but. Um, In the police procedural, even more so because it is, strictly speaking, an investigation and you have to play fair. Uh, Of course, the balance is you have to provide enough detail so that you are not sneaking things up on the reader. You have to give them a fair chance to solve the thing. But that means that you have to provide misleading details and details that don't go anywhere. So the writer's job is to balance the details that are necessary and those that are deliberate obfuscation (laughs) without making the reader say, I can't follow any of this and throw it away. I mean, ideally you don't do that. And of course you also have, especially with a series like this, this is although it's in some ways a standalone, it's also a part of the Martinelli series. You have A history of the main characters. So that um, the Sherlock Holmes story in this feeds into Martinelli's life in a lot of subtle ways. Um, One of the pleasures of writing that kind of fiction, where you have two different storylines, is that ideally the two storylines cast light on the other. And that's what I was aiming at with the thing.
0: The two storylines, one of the connecting threads of the two storylines has to do with the backdrop of Kate and Lee's relationship. By the way, I'd like to ask if any of you are aspiring writers and want to ask Lori R. King about the art or the work of writing, please call 476-2800 or 800-655-5877. Lori, (laughs) recently out of the judiciary... Committee of our fine Senate came a proposal for an amendment to our Constitution that would define marriage as being between a man and a woman. <laughs> this has a direct relationship to Okay. We're
1: getting to right down to it, huh, aren't yeah, okay. we're, yeah.
0: we're gonna. We're not going gonna to cut to the chase here. No messing around. Uh, when you started out writing the Kate Martinelli series, in which the main character is a lesbian and, and engaged in a long-term relationship, you might have thought, it might well have been... Uh, wise to think that as time went by, the acceptance of that relationship in our society at large would grow. Instead, we've seen kind of the reverse happen. So I'm wondering if you could talk to me about how, as a writer, how how this worked for you, and how, how this feeds into this novel.
1: I don't know that I'd agree that there is a retreat from... Um, gay rights from marriage rights I would say rather that the extreme right wing is seeing the inexorable progress being made and is in panic I think that's what's happening I think the number of laws and the social shift is creating a, a last ditch effort and, and that, indeed, is what lies at the basis of The Art of Detection, the book, because the Holmes side of it, which takes place in 1924, <clears throat> finds Holmes involved in an investigation, and I, I had so much fun writing this part, you just can't imagine, um, with Holmes investigating the death of a young man who was involved with a transvestite singer in San Francisco in 1924. So you have on the one side the sorts of very repressed lives and extreme limitations of uh, the 20s, even in San Francisco and the Barbary Coast in the 20s um, that you found in the rest of the country, which is sort of duplicated in the ongoing prohibition Era. And on the other hand, you have San Francisco in the early part of the third millennium beginning to find these, a redefinition of what a family is, for example. So that everywhere you go in Kate's story, you find a pair of gay men who adopt a child. Um, you find gays and lesbians in school boards and the sorts of things that when the first Martinelli book came out in 1993 would have been considered really just beyond the edge of possibility. But a mere 10 or 12 years later is daily life in San Francisco. And it was such such a joy to be able to see this freedom and compare it with the, the, the 1920s or, or even the period of, of Kate's original appearance.
0: If you're just joining us, my guest is best-selling author Laurie R. King. She's the Santa Cruz County Artist of the Year. Her latest book is The Art of Detection. I'm Rick Cleffel, and this is Talk of the Bay. If any of you are aspiring writers and want to talk to Laurie R. King, please give us a call at 476-2800 or 800 655 5877. Lori, one of the things that you deal with rather interestingly is you're something of a literary DJ and a sampler <laughs> when, you, when you write. You've, you you remixed I never
1: thought of myself in that term.
0: I, uh, okay. The, this book in particular is really a remix of some of your earlier work,
1: Golden Oldies, oh <laughs> uh,
0: But it, it, you've done some interesting stuff. So yeah. I'd like you to talk a bit, little bit about. You re- said earlier that you write your very first Sherlock Holmes pastiche in this book. Yeah. So I'd like for you to describe to us the spectrum of from pastiche to where the Mary Russell books lie and how you transverse that.
1: Well, a, a pastiche is where a writer takes another writer's characters and setting and time and builds a story that might have been. So that if I were writing, strictly speaking, a Conan Doyle Holmes pastiche, I would write it on Baker Street and it would be in the late 19th century and Watson and Mrs. Hudson would be there and gas lamps and all the rest of it. That That's really a strict sp- pastiche. And I've never written that because when I started the Mary Russell books, I began them after Conan Doyle was finished with Holmes in 1915. His last Holmes story is set at the beginning of the First World War in August of 1914. So that I take a Holmes who has been abandoned by Conan Doyle, and it enables me to change him in ways that I couldn't do if I were writing a pastiche. So that this story, The Art of Detection, has a Holmes adventure that is a pastiche that fits into the Russell books rather than the Conan Doyle books. You know, you've got to be multidimensional to keep up with Laurie King here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's very metafictional and fairly Oh, my cerebral. God, now
1: I'm writing metafiction, too. Oh, <laughs> not only am I a DJ, I'm, I'm literary, Rick. <laughs> I'm stunned. <laughs> so, yes, um, I mean, the whole idea of a pastiche is, is to tell more stories about a person who is limited by what you can feed into. But in this case, he's not.
0: If you would like to speak to Laurie R. King... You can call us at 476-2800 or 800-655-5877.
1: you frightened them all off, Rick. (laughs) The idea of talking to someone who not only is a DJ but writes metafiction is just too much. So no one's going to call.
0: (laughs) We won't be letting Laurie at the turntables, however. Laurie, one of the first times you did this kind of literary DJ uh, thing is in a book called To Play the Fool. And I wonder where you have a character who speaks entirely in quotes. And I wonder if you'd care to talk about researching that character, how you created that character. Uh, that sounds like a kind of a mind-boggling experience to try to write that.
1: I, I'm sorry, Rick. All I have in mind is me standing there, you know, going backwards with the record and making squeaky noises. It's just, Somehow I just hadn't <laughs> thought of my novels as being like that. And it's just giving me a whole new s- sense of myself. Yes, um... Brother Erasmus in To Play the Fool is the second of the Martinelli books, and in that one um, he is a holy fool, and the, the purpose of a holy fool is to challenge our assumptions and to um, knock down the concretization of society. So he speaks um, in a way that challenges discussion, um, if everything he says is taken from someone else not only do you have to pay a great deal of attention to what he's saying because you have to figure out what he's talking about um, you know it's kind of difficult to answer a question of what, would, what kind of omelet would you like to order um, <clears throat> when, when the, your only source of vocabulary is sh- Shakespeare the Bible and Gilbert and Sullivan you know, it sort of limits your conversational abilities. Um, looking back, I really don't know how I wrote the book. I must have been quite nuts when I did it because it, theoretically it's not possible to carry on a conversation with nothing but quotations. And um, But Brother Erasmus does that, and I, I think it's relatively clear when he talks.
0: I'd like to talk a little bit about the story within the story. We have, as a basis... Uh, Conan Doyle was in San Francisco in the twenties. He was, and he was uh, kind he a kind of. He didn't care for it. He was a nutty spiritualist. He, you would think he would have liked it.
1: He, no, San Francisco is not was not spiritual enough for him. Los Angeles, he thought, was great. But when he came to San Francisco, the journalists asked him pointed questions. So he decided that it was because they were impoverished when it came to spiritual matters.
0: Tell us a little <laughs> bit about <laughs> writing to.
1: Little did he know. <laughs> Little did he know
0: what the future would hold. Mm-hmm. And but he was also wrote science fiction as
1: well. He wrote all kinds of stuff. And um, in fact, the the as far as he was concerned, the Holmes material paid the bills, but really wasn't as good as as his other historical fiction, which is you know much more important and literary. Completely unreadable, most of it. But <laughs> as far as he was concerned, people were wasting his time with this Holmes mania.
0: Tell us a little bit about writing two narratives that reflect and refract one another.
1: In The Art of Detection? Yes. It, it was interesting. I wasn't sure when I started out, because I don't write with an outline. I never quite know what I'm doing, but I have a sense of where I want the book to go and what I want it to do. I don't know how I'm going to get it to do it, but I, want, I know what I want it to do. So I knew that I wanted these two storylines to twist around each other, and as you say, throw a light on each other. Um, When I was writing, I started writing the Martinelli material, the Martinelli story, up to the point where she actually reads the the typescript that is the, the Sherlock Holmes story. And it was, I had assumed I would then go on and write the rest of the Martinelli story and fill in the Holmes story when I knew where I needed it to go. But that wasn't the case. I, it, I wrote the home story, and it then told me what I needed to do with Kate. So, uh, you know, yet again, the, the, the male Holmes dominates everything. So what can I say? <laughs> Lori, Rick, we have a caller, um, Robert from King City. Let's see, Robert, are you there? Robert?
2: Yes, yes, I'm here. Can
1: you hear me? Yes, we can.
2: Oh, I'm on the air. How frightening. Hi, Robert. How Hi, are Robert.
1: you? Good. Great.
2: Uh, I really don't know what I want to talk about, uh, print-on-demand or private editors. Uh, I have a novel I published uh, a little over a year ago, a detective story with a female protagonist. And, and uh, after years of working on it, I had to hire a private editor. She's based in Sunnyvale. Uh, and uh, after just changing around 1% or 2% of the work, she gave me something that was really a syllable manuscript. Uh, uh, the, the, did wonders, but uh, my big beef was the uh, print-on-demand publishers, which is where I had to finally end up going to.
0: You have to be really careful with that. Uh, was it Publish America?
2: Uh, outskirts.
0: Outskirts. There's
2: Outskirts Press, and I've been less, been less than happy with them, but I've got all my money tied up in it, so I'm pretty much stuck with them.
1: It, it's, it's a very difficult thing. that When you can't find a publisher in the standard way, whether you go um, self published or not, I happen to think that it's a, it's a mug's game to go with getting self-published, because you get yourself into the trap of of not having, quote, real, unquote, publishers take you seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it really is tough. And if you're looking to actually make money off of it, um, it's very, very unlikely that you will.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to get that feeling right now. Uh, I just paid a little extra so I could get get in what they call the returns program so I can market myself to, like, Barnes & Noble and a few bookstores. And, um, frankly, uh, the way they got set up, the only person I could actually market myself to with a, a high enough discount is Barnes & Noble. Well. And uh, it's really a trap. Uh, but uh, I'm looking at it this way, trying to be philosophical about it. I wrote a book, and it's published, and nobody else in my family had yeah, nyan, yeah, that type of thing.
0: <laughs> Best so, of luck uh, to you, Robert. Huh? Best of luck to you.
2: Yeah,
1: we wish you luck.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Robert. Okay, thank you very
0: much. Thank you. We're speaking with Laurie King. Laurie, in just the couple minutes that remain to us, I'd like to talk to you very quickly about the world of Sherlockians and Holmesians. <laughs> You must have had some experience with these people, and some experience with the incredibly mind-boggling amount of money that these artifacts fetch. Have you seen any of these things? These three hundred thousand dollar magazines?
1: I was privileged to be shown a collection in Minnesota um, a, a couple of years ago by the uh, by the curator. Who, you know, not a, not a private thing, but the most amazing collection of. Whatnot, everything ranging from Holmes puzzles to original manuscripts. Um, and yes, like anything collectible, there's a huge amount of money in it, which is, uh, of course, one of the things that, that this story is about, because the man who dies in the art of detection owns this Holmes manuscript or typescript. So um, we're talking big bucks here.
0: Tell us a little bit about the personalities of the Sherlockians. <laughs> Rick, Are you Rick, one of them? Rick,
1: I'm not going to put my neck in that one. <laughs> Come on now. you got to be joking. Um, no, it was fun because writing this one, I got to say all kinds of rude things through Kate Martinelli about these Sherlockians because she just ends up shaking her head most of the time saying, they do what? <laughs> Which because over the, the the history of eight books in the Russell series, that uh, I, I've established two Devout Sherlockians, that I'm, I'm really quite polite when it comes to um, Holmes, that I, I don't do rude things to him, and I don't write romance and all the rest of it. So they, they now accept me as one of their own, and and occasionally invite me to their parties and things.
0: Have you seen any of the kind of the really odd ephemera that you talk about in the book? Talk thinking about the Sherlock Holmes mug with the pipe, teapot, cozies.
1: Pe- people give me things, Rick. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Pe- people. I have a bird house that is made from a plaster deerstalker cap. I, I, I kid you not, with a little hole in the front of it. It's really quite an extraordinary item.
0: And how are the birds finding this?
1: They are terrified of it. It looks like a... <laughs> I'm <laughs> about to eat them.
0: <laughs> One of the things that I find kind of interesting is that the Mary Russell books, in a sense, are alternate history. And I'm wondering if you feel that you, if you've read much alternate history, and if that informs the work of those books.
1: It, it is, isn't it? Um, some of the some of the fun remarks that Mary Mary drops about. Um, how being in the vicinity of Holmes makes her feel like a fictional character because he's assumed to be a fictional character, whereas you know we all know that he's real. Um, is part of the game that Sherlockians play that you because his his obituary has never appeared in The Times, clearly he's not dead. So <laughs> 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 But no, I, I haven't read a lot of other people's alternative history. I, you, know, you have to get your mind around it, and I, I just my mind is too easily boggled.
0: Tell us a little bit about what's coming next.
1: I am working on a book called Touchstone, which will be out in a year's time, um, probably June of 2007. Set in 1926, um, England, just in the period just leading up to the general strike. Um, it's a standalone. It's not a Russell, and uh, I'm having a tremendous time with it. It's it's going to be a good book.
0: Will it be a, a mystery novel?
1: It, this is from someone who doesn't like her own writing, you understand. When I say it's going to be a good book, this is worth noting. Okay. Well,
0: we'll keep that in mind. It, is it going to be A mystery?
1: Yes, it is. Well, it is a it is a, either a suspense or a thriller depending on I think I think how we're describing it is a country house political thriller.
0: Well, that sounds fascinating.
1: <laughs> it's a new genre, Rick. All right. <laughs>
0: We've been speaking with Lori R. King. Her new novel is The Art of Detection, and she'll be appearing as Artist of the Year tomorrow in Live Oak. You can find out all about the event at www.scparks.com. Thank you for joining us, Lori.
1: I always look forward to talking with you, Rick. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashiltron.com slash agony.